Oh man, that's good news. Hey, Jesus changed, gave a new meaning to the word empty. There isn't any one of us who can relate to at least one of the people on that video. And there are times in our lives when we feel completely empty. Well, what if you and I could have a relationship with God himself in such a way that he was always with us? A right relationship with God who will never leave us or forsake us, who will always guide us and protect us and fill our lives with joy and purpose and meaning. What if that was possible? Well, it is possible through a relationship with Jesus and we know that it's possible because the tomb was empty. Jesus promised all these things, and that's great. He made a lot of good promises, but wasn't he just another person? Oh, no. He wasn't just another guy. He was the son of God walking in the flesh. And when he died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, he rose again. He said he would, and he proved it because the tomb was empty on Easter Sunday morning. There are a lot of implications because of that, because the tomb was empty our lives can be full of a whole bunch of things. I want to unpack that for you this morning. So prepare to be encouraged. This is good news today. It's Easter Sunday, and it's a day for great news. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us today. Will you, will you join me, please? Lord, I thank you for Easter Sunday. I thank you the tomb is empty. I thank you for all that that means. And I pray that today you will speak to each one of our hearts, and we will leave here today encouraged, emboldened, with new insight on who you are and what it means to have a right relationship with you. Oh, God, I thank you for Easter. I thank you for the good news that the tomb is empty. And God, our hearts can be full. So, Lord, today, Lord, I ask that you would speak and move me out of the way, that you would teach each one of us something that we need to hear. I pray these things in the strong and mighty name of the resurrected Jesus. Amen. Point one on your outline reminds us that on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus' tomb was indeed empty. Here's John's account of it. Early on Sunday morning, this is from John 20, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Jesus was laid in a Rolling Stone Tomb it was common for people to be buried in that fashion at that time. A small cave that had been hewn out of a limestone cliff. And Jesus' body placed on a small shelf inside there. Uh, you had to bend over to get in. It was a small little place. but And then the entrance itself was sealed by rolling a large rock that had been carved to the right size to fit in front of the entrance. And the stone dropped into a little notch that had been carved for it, effectively sealing it. So Mary Magdalene came to that place, where the, but the stone had been rolled away. She ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were bro both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. By the way, if you're wondering who the other disciple is, that's the way John referred to himself. I mean, that was just a polite way to do it, and he wanted everybody to know he was faster than Peter. Anyway, so we'll keep going. <laughs> so there you go. Well, he stooped, and he stooped and looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived, and he went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there where the cloth had covered Jesus' head, 
was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then the disciple who'd reached the tomb first, because he was faster than Peter, also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood why the scriptures said that the scriptures had said about Jesus rising from the dead. I mean, they still hadn't understood. Jesus, on numerous occasions, had told his disciples, look, I'm going to be betrayed by the chief priests and the Pharisees. They hate my guts. They're jealous of me. They're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. They look good on the outside, but inside their hearts are filled with greed and corruption. This is all about power and money and control for them. But Jesus was God in the flesh, fully God and fully human. He came to restore a right relationship between God and people. And the people into religion for their own ends, they didn't want the real thing. They didn't want the Son of God when he came. So they wanted him dead. And even though he told his disciples all these things, and that he, the night before he was crucified, he told them exactly what was going to happen, they couldn't comprehend it. And they watched him die in the most brutal, horrible fashion. And they couldn't conceive of the fact that anybody could come back from that. And even though they'd seen him raise other people from the dead, how could he come back to life himself? And so they ran to the tomb. And when Peter looked in, it's like it wasn't just that the body was gone. The wrappings were there. I mean... In one of the other accounts we find uh, in the Gospels, we find that when Jesus' body had been laid in the tomb, they wrapped him in strips of cloth, that, just like kind of like a mummy. That was the custom of the day. And they used 75 pounds of spices to wrap his body in. And so his body would have been in like a cocoon. And if somebody had stolen the body, you just would have lifted up the whole body and the wrappings and taken it out. But you wouldn't unwrap the body and then rewrap the wrappings to make it look like it had just evaporated through them. I mean, that's what was there, this cocoon. And all of a sudden it dawned on Peter and on John, well, this is all true. Everything he said is true. Now, it's important to note in your outline here the stone wasn't rolled away from the tomb to let Jesus out. It was rolled away to let the disciples in. Now, this is terribly important. In Matthew's account, and from Matthew 28, we find uh, a little more insight. Early on Sunday morning, the new day was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. And if you're not familiar with the story, and you're wondering, well, why were there guards around a tomb? I mean, who puts guards around a tomb? Well, the disciples hadn't understood what Jesus had meant, but his enemies, the chief priests and the Pharisees who wanted him dead, they'd heard Jesus say all this too, that he was going to rise on the third day. And they had gone to Pilate, the day before, after Good Friday, they'd gone to him on Saturday, and they'd said, hey, that Jesus, he said he was going to rise again, and his disciples might get it in their head that they could concoct a story that he actually did by coming and stealing the body. 
So Pilate, here's what we want you to do. Would you take a contingent of guards, seal the tomb, and then put guards in front of it to protect it? And Pilate had listened to all their demands, and he was tired of them. He said, just go do whatever you want. So the guards had been stationed in front of the tomb to make sure that nobody came to steal the body. And nobody did, of course. Jesus rose from the dead. But what's so interesting is, is that in this story, I don't want you to miss this, we find one of those amazing details again of how God had planned this whole thing. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy 1.9 tells us that this was God's plan before the beginning of time to rescue the world through Jesus. And so when um, the women come up, or when the angel comes down, one of the details that I find most fascinating, it always tickles me to think of this, that when the angel rolled the stone away, he didn't just stand there. It says that he sat on it, waiting for the women to show up. I mean, this is an appointment from eternity past. The women are coming to the tomb, and they don't expect the angel to be there, but the angel's at the tomb waiting for the women. This is all part of God's plan. And so when they come, he's waiting there. And he tells them, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus. He's not here. You're looking for the living among the dead. He's risen, just as he said. Come see. I mean, that is just such a wonderful picture to me. I mean, it was a big surprise for them. This was God's plan from the beginning. And the angels just carrying it out. One of the things I look forward to and going to heaven is meeting people in the Bible and meeting the angels. It's like, oh, you were the angel who sat on the stone. What was that like? Oh, you should have seen those guards' faces. That was something. <laughs> and the women, they were surprised to see me. And I couldn't wait to tell them the good news. I mean, that first Easter Sunday morning, this was all part of God's plan. His plan to redeem the world from its sin for all who will come to him. God loved the world so much he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And this is the plan. They were surprised. The angel wasn't. Don't be afraid. Now, because the tomb was empty, our lives can be full. And if you open up your outline, I want to give you five ways that the Scripture tells us there's more. There's really a lot more. Just limit it to five. Five ways that our lives can be full. And I want to change the outline order just a little bit. So for those of you who really like to go through things exactly in order, I've already ruined your Easter. I'm sorry. But I'm going to start with point C. We'll go C and then B and then A and then around because I just... After I went through my notes yesterday when I was going through this, I was going, man, I really want to start with point C first. And um, so here's where I'm going to start with that, that today. Because Jesus' tomb was empty, we can be full of hope. Can we say this together, please, this, what, all the words on the screen? Because Jesus' tomb was empty, we can be full of hope. Listen to what the scripture tells us. First Peter, this is Peter, the not as fast guy showing up at the tomb, Okay. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, for he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. It is no accident that the revelation of Jesus rising from the dead, the first people to hear about it, heard about it in a cemetery. I mean, if you're Governor Ivy and you're talking about how good the economy's going, you're standing in front of some construction of some big brand new manufacturing plant. If you are the, um, you know, the chairman of the board for the blood bank, I mean, you're making an announcement, well, there's a big blood donor push going on, lots of people giving blood. If you are the son of God and you are telling people that death has been conquered and we don't have to be afraid of dying anymore, you make the announcement in front of an open tomb. Don't miss it been planned from the beginning of the world. This is God's plan. And it's a living hope. Every time I do a funeral, uh, on the uh, order of service, I have a slot for a message. And I always entitle my message at funerals, a message, it's called a message of hope and assurance. And when I hand that out to family members, they go, you're at a funeral here today where we're deep in grief and you're going to do a message of hope and assurance? And I go, oh, you betcha. Because through Christ, there is always hope. I mean, a cemetery is always our final resting place. Well, Jesus turned it into a place where a new life begins. Can I get an amen from somebody? I know it's early, but it can't be that early. Hey, if you're excited that we have a living hope through Jesus Christ because he rose from the dead. Would you say amen? amen? Thank you. By the way, John, the one who was faster than Peter, here's what he said when he had a glimpse of heaven. God gave him a little glimpse of heaven in Revelation 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. At every funeral, I make sure I tell people about this passage. Through Christ, this is a hope for everyone who has a right relationship with Christ. Eternity in heaven, where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no one ever dies ever again. Hallelujah. That is our living hope. And the one sitting on the throne of heaven told John, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Well, why is it true? Well, Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 15. He said it's true because the tomb was empty. He said, look, if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. Everything about Christianity hinges on what happened on Easter morning. There are many people who believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't the son of God. I mean, Jesus said lots of wonderful things, but he didn't rise from the dead. Come on. Why is that important? Well, it's important because only the Son of God could rise from the dead. And if he can rise from the dead, then he's stronger than death. And if he's stronger than death, and he knows how to conquer it, and we have a right relationship with him, then he not only knows how to conquer death for himself, he knows how to conquer death for all those who come to him. 
Somebody's got to say hallelujah again. I mean, think how good this news is. Paul goes on. He said, um, if Christ hasn't been raised and your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins because Jesus had come to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. I mean, if he said he was dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and he said he was going to rise again, well, if he didn't rise again, then he lied about the whole thing and our sins are still all upon us. I mean, the beauty of the cross was that our sins were paid for in full. Well, if he didn't do it, he didn't do it. But that's, but listen to what Paul says now. And all who've died believing in Christ are lost. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, if it's just a bunch of religious rules and meetings and things to read, but it has no eternal significance, well, we're more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the first of a great harvest of all those who have died. I had a funeral just the other afternoon. Gave a message of hope and assurance. Read this passage. A woman came up to me as we were walking back to our cars after the graveside. She walked up to me and she said, I got to know that you believe everything you said today. That's really true? I said, yes, ma'am, every single syllable. And she just lost it. Oh, thank God there's hope. We're standing in the middle of a cemetery and it crashes in on her that eternal life is available through Jesus. Because the tomb is empty, you and I can be full of hope. That's point C. Point B, because the tomb is empty, you and I can be full of power. When Paul was writing the Ephesians, he said, I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. You see, Jesus had not only told his disciples that he was going to die on the cross and that he'd rise from the dead. He told them that after he did, he was going to go to heaven and prepare a place for them. And when everything was ready, he'd come back and get them. And in the meantime... He said, I'm going to ask my Father to send the Holy Spirit to you. He won't just be with you. He'll be in you, and he'll change you from the inside out. He'll give you the power to obey me. He'll open your minds to new understandings. He will comfort you and guide you. The living power of God will be inside of you. And all that's possible because Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. He did ascend to heaven, and the Holy Spirit does come to live inside of those who follow Jesus. But you will receive power. This is Jesus explaining this. Right before he ascended into heaven, he reminded his disciples of this. He said, look, before I go, let me remind you of something. This was literally the, the last few words he said before he ascended to heaven. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, he'd given his disciples that commission, too, to go out and tell the whole world about him and make disciples. Well, these were ordinary people, fishermen, businessmen. Some of them even were notorious sinners. How were they going to tell anybody about Jesus? And he said, well, you'll get power. I'll make you able to do things you've never been able to do before. 
And so in Acts 4.31, a few chapters later, we find these same people praying after they've received the Holy Spirit. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God boldly. I mean, here's what's so great. Ordinary people were transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. So because the tomb was empty, Jesus is risen. Because he's risen, he ascended to the Father. Because he ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Everything Jesus said is true. And if that's true, then you and I have the power to change too. Now we're going to have the power to forgive. We're going to have the power to overcome addictions. We're going to have the power to love. We're going to have the power to become new people from the inside out. Because the grave was empty, you and I can be filled with power. And point A, let's look at that one real quickly too, we can also be full of joy. We not only have the hope of eternal life in heaven, we not only have the hope that God will send his Holy Spirit to fill us and change us, we also can experience joy. Therefore, my heart is glad. This is Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. By the way, when uh, in John's gospel, when he said the disciples hadn't understood in the Old Testament, the Old Testament writings, it said Jesus had to rise from the dead. Well, there's a number of them. This is one of them, Psalm 16. And it was written you know, 950 years before Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And that didn't just apply to Jesus. Listen to Romans 15 when Paul is commenting on this. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul talks about. When he talks about joy, it's not just happiness. Happiness depends on our circumstances. I mean, it's the same way when he talks about peace. Jesus promised his disciples, I'm going to give you a peace the world cannot give. Well, the world gives us a peace that's defined like this. Hey, I can, you can have peace in your life when all your bills are paid, everybody's healthy, there's no conflicts in relationship, your job status is satisfied, and you pretty much figured out what's going on. That's what the world says, then we can have peace. And when you experience that, enjoy those 20 minutes, okay? That's great. Because in our world, things always go up and down. There's always problems. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you the kind of peace the world doesn't have. Because your peace isn't going to depend on your circumstances. Your peace is going to depend on a right relationship with me. And so even when you're going through hard times, you can have peace because you know I'm going to show you things, I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to give you strength for the task. Well, it's the same way with joy. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in James it says, consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. These are for the perfecting of your faith. They're going to make you strong in character. So you'd be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
So as a Christian, because I know I'm going to heaven, because I know the Holy Spirit is living inside of me, I can now experience joy even in the midst of difficulty because somehow God is going to strengthen my character. In Romans 8, 28, Paul says not only that, but God's going to use all things, God can use all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. So I can even know that God is somehow going to use the most painful things, the most frustrating things, the broken things in my life for his good, to strengthen my character and also to work to my good in the long run so I can rejoice. Jesus said, when people mock you and spit on you, rejoice, there's going to be reward in heaven. So, because the tomb is empty, it means Jesus is risen. Because he's risen, the Holy Spirit's working in me. Because he's working in me, I know that I can have joy even when life around me is hard. I got a free amen. Didn't even ask for it. That is so great. This is so good. And all this was crashing in on the women when they came to the tomb. The whole thing's true. I mean, God had planned it, but they hadn't expected it. So I picture the angel sitting there waiting for them, you know, with whatever kind of timepiece angels wear. I'll be along in just a minute. This is good news. This is going to rock their world. Because he had planned it, but they didn't know it. God had planned it, and the angel knew all about it. The closest I've been to something like that in my life was a, a year and a half ago. Our youngest son, Graham, came up with a really creative way um, to ask his fiance at the time, now his wife, Ashton, to marry him. Um, and so he got us to uh, all, he got our whole family, his brothers and their wives and Debbie and I to all be there together with him and Ashton to go solve one of these escape room uh, puzzles. You have an hour to solve these mysteries. They give you a pretend mystery and you all work together finding all these clues to solve a mystery. And at the end of the hour, you get out of the room. And that's the idea. It's a lot of fun. But he had worked with the people who owned the escape room that the last clue, the mystery we were working on was that somebody had stolen the Mona Lisa and that we needed to go find it and we had to resolve all these clues in the escape room. And they had replaced the Mona Lisa, which was the last thing you're going to find, with a wedding proposal from Graham to Ashton. And then when they would uncover it, then he would be on his knee giving her the ring. And so he said, the, he told us what the last clue would be. They told him when we got to that point to solve it. And um, he told us to just let him and Ashton solve that last thing. So we got busy and we're solving all the clues. We didn't know what the rest of the clues were. So it's really a fun game and we really got into it. I got into it a lot, okay? And so we get down to the last clue, and we're working on it. Graham and I are working on it, and I've already figured out how to solve it. And so I'm working there, and, and I'm telling Graham, oh, we can solve this. We're about to solve it. He goes, Dad, Ashton and I, I'd like Ashton and I to solve this last clue, because he had told us, you know, this was, the game, this was the reason we were there, okay? But I had gotten so into the game, I'd forgotten. I go, no, I got this. I figured this out. And he goes, Dad. Ashton and I need to do this, okay? And so um, I have competitive issues. Anyway, so, uh, so, so sure enough, they solve it together, and the clue comes up, and where they're supposed to be the Mona Lisa, there's this proposal, will you marry me? And she turns around, and Graham's on one knee, and we're all there watching. And she cries and says yes, and then she walks out of the escape room, 
And Graham's arranged for her whole family. They live in Birmingham, and her friends from Birmingham, they're all outside the room waiting for her. And she's completely overwhelmed. And we are going, yes. <laughs> she never saw it. We all knew it was coming. Now you know what the angel is experiencing. Don't be afraid. I know you're probably terrified because angels are terrifying. But don't be afraid. The tomb is empty. Jesus isn't here. He's risen just as he said. Come and see. I mean, you'll see. And then go tell everybody. Go tell everybody because the tomb is empty. Now you can be full of hope. Jesus conquers death. You don't have to be afraid of dying anymore. You can be full of power because the Holy Spirit, he promised, will come live in you. You can be full of joy because that Holy Spirit is going to work in you, bringing all things together for your good and making your character stronger even when life is hard. A couple more things. We can also be full of confidence because the tomb is empty. You and I can be full of confidence. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes when I tell people about the good news of Jesus, and I invite them to come to church. It happened just a couple of weeks ago. I invited a guy to join us. He said, oh, you know, hey, look, Pastor, I really appreciate that, but if I was to come to one of your church services, lightning would strike me. I said, well, come on, that would be an interesting thing to see. I've never seen that before. <laughs> and he goes, no, serious. I mean, you don't understand how much junk is in my life and how much sin is in my life. And I go, oh, well, then, then you really need to come because you're misunderstanding the deal. Listen to what Ephesians 3.12 says. Because of Christ, our, our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Never worry that he's going to strike us dead. Strike us with lightning because we're such a bunch of filthy, rotten sinners. He came to save filthy, rotten sinners. Colossians 2.12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of all your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. And then underline this entire last sentence. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Can we just read everything, the rest of this from, from there on down, starting with the word he? Read it out loud with me. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And we know he was able to do it because he rose from the dead. Only the Son of God could do that. Only the Son of God could rise from the dead. And that's why Paul says, if this isn't true, then none of it's true. But he also says, but it is true. Because the tomb is empty, you and I can be full of confidence. That means I can walk into God's throne room anytime I want, and I can pray to him and say, Oh, Heavenly Father, I have this need and that need. And people go, How dare you approach God? Don't you know what a sinner you were? Don't you know all the failings of your past? Absolutely. And Jesus has forgiven them all. Don't you know how weak you still are? Oh, yeah, but the Holy Spirit's inside me, changing me. Hmm. Tomb is empty, I can be full of confidence. And finally, because the tomb is empty, we can be full of life. I mean, the disciples hadn't understood the Old Testament writings. They hadn't even understood what Jesus had said. And when the tomb was empty, 
then all this makes sense. What he said in John 10. This is starting in John 10, 10. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand isn't the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, ah, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. He's just doing it for the money. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And it all makes sense now what he was talking about. When Jesus said he wants us to experience rich, full life, He's not talking about just the eternal life in heaven. Yeah, that's, that's coming. He's not talking about just that we'll have power to do what he calls us to do and joy and confidence. He's talking about that you and I can have an abiding, ongoing, moment-by-moment relationship with him because Jesus says, look, I am the vine, and the way you need to understand yourself is that you're a branch of that vine grafted into me so that my life becomes your life. And then through you, I bear much fruit. The love that's in my heart will start showing out in your heart. The joy that's in me will start coming out in you. The peace that I have will be your peace. My patience will be yours. Stay connected to me. Connect to me and stay connected to me and you will yield much fruit. And this is God's desire for each one of us, that we bear much fruit, that we stay connected to him, and his life becomes ours. That is rich, full, abundant life. He is the source of life, and we're connected to the source. And now you know why the angel was waiting there for the women. He rolled the stone away, not to let Jesus out, but let them in. It's all true. The hope of heaven is real. The confidence of walking into the throne room of heaven, it's true. You can have joy in the worst circumstance. You can have, God will give you power to accomplish the things he wants you to do. And you can have a moment by moment ongoing relationship because the life of Jesus will now be in you. Just come to him. So one more verse for us today. We're Christ's ambassadors. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5. We're Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us and we speak for Christ and we say, come back to God. Some of you might have drifted away and you came back on Easter, came with a family, it's a good thing to do. But you haven't been experiencing confidence or power or joy or hope lately. In fact, you'd say your life was just the opposite. I'm doubtful, fearful, afraid, anxious, worried. All the things on that video when we started. Empty. Let me remind you again, because the tomb is empty, you don't have to stay that way. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin 
so we could be made right with God through Christ. He nailed our sins to the cross. Come to him. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. You haven't experienced these things either because you've never been attached. Come today. Come today. We're baptizing a fella at 11 o'clock here. His whole story was this. He was into all kinds of sin. And uh, it caught up to him. And he was scared. It's catching up to him. Problems everywhere around him. And uh, he came to me and said, you know, i got to get right with God. Some people had told him he did. And, um, he came to me and said, so what do I do? And I told him about surrendering his life to Christ. And he said, oh, man, I just I don't, I can't do it. And I said, well, why not? And he goes, because... I can't straighten myself out. I've been trying to straighten myself out for years, and I can't get it right. I'll never be able to get it right. And I go, no, you don't understand. You connect to God. His life lives through you. He gives you the power to change. He changes you. And he goes, oh, well, then sign me up. <laughs> I thought I had to do this thing on my own. You mean not only does he forgive me my sins, if I connect to him, he lives in me, and he changes me? He goes, that's like the best news ever. you got to come back at 11. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> and that's his story. Like, yeah, dude, that's the story. He goes, well, we need to tell people about this. <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> if you haven't been connected to Jesus or you've gone away from him, you drifted away from him, come back to God. The tomb is empty. Our lives are meant to be full. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you for Easter Sunday. This is the greatest message ever. It's all true. And Lord, I thank you that even the disciples had to figure it out. I mean, when they saw the empty linens lying there, who takes a body and leaves the wrappings? Oh, God, I thank you for joy and peace. I thank you for confidence. I thank you for power. I thank you for hope of eternal life. And I thank you that I can experience abundant life every minute of every day right now. Even if all the circumstances are going crazy around me. I want that. I need that. I want to be connected to you. Lord, we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Worship team.